Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. As has already been mentioned, this has been a pretty busy weekend for a lot of people here at Bay Area, especially for the women here as today wraps up the ladies' uh, inspirational weekend. And I want to say thank you to all the women who participated and then all the women who made that happen as well. I know that there's a lot of hard work that went into that. I know that you've been blessed, and since you've been blessed, we've been blessed. Uh, so thanks for uh, all of you that made that happen and inviting the Lord to be part of the weekend. And I'm sure that he was lifted up and, and honored uh, the weekend. And I hope as we continue today, that still uh, is true. The theme for the ladies' retreat was meant for more. And I wanted to uh, kind of capitalize on the groundwork that they laid this weekend and speak on that same subject. I talked about this earlier in the year, but there's lots more to say. And I want to focus on Ephesians chapter 3.20, you see on the screen there. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And the whole idea being that wherever you are spiritually, you are meant for more. Whatever you've learned, there's more to learn. Whatever you've experienced, there's more to experience. Whatever you've enjoyed, there's more to enjoy. This whole idea of whatever you've done, there's more to do, and it's what God can imagine for us, not just what we can imagine for us, which is a pretty neat thought. And as we talk about being meant for more, I'm going to try to keep you engaged this morning, and I'm stealing some marketing strategy from ESPN. We watch a lot of ESPN at my house, especially this time of year, because it is the most wonderful time of the year. Lots of football at my house. But if you watch ESPN, if you watch Sports Center, those kind of shows, you'll see a lot of times somewhere on the screen they'll have a rundown of what is next. So this morning I am giving you a rundown of what to expect. And it really comes in handy. You know, when I'm watching Sports Center and I see like Steeler highlights or you know top ten plays, I'm I'm tuning in. I'm paying attention. If I see the what's next on the on the rundown is like golf or NASCAR, which is fine if you like that. Just so happens I don't. That's when I slip out. So maybe this rundown will help you today because I know some of you have short attention spans. So I want to give you a heads up on when to pay attention. And also I know that we Americans, we're used to getting our uh, information in really quick spurts. So I'm going to be kind of following that format as well today. We're going to move quickly. So, so you know, that's the heads up. A uh, college professor was given a final exam one semester. Now you see this is a bad joke. See, you already know what to expect, so you can pay attention or not. College professor given a final exam one semester, and the last page of that exam had an honor form that he asked each student to sign stating that they had received no outside help in taking that exam. One young man was a little bit conflicted about signing that, so he walked up to the professor's desk and said, Sir, I'm not sure I can sign this honor form in good conscience because while I was taking this test, I prayed that God would help me during the test. The professor said, let me see your exam. He looked at it for a while, handed it back and said, 
Sign the form. God didn't help you. <laughs> now see, if you didn't like bad jokes, you can start paying attention now. Right? But, but actually, that bad joke kind of sets up my thought for today. Just how real can we expect God's assistance to be? Can God do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? Will God do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? And for that matter, when is God going to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? Now, I told you we're going to move pretty quickly today. We're going to talk about God's power, our response to that power. I want to share with you four promises that are made in Scripture about God's power. Then I've got four quotes about what other people have said about God's power. I've got three questions that I want you to consider this morning. And then four stories as we talk about the power of God and the heart of God. And here's some things that the Holy Spirit wants us to know about God. Here are some promises from God about God. Matthew chapter 19. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's a pretty clear statement, right? No qualifiers, no boundaries, no limits. With God all things are possible. Jeremiah 32, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? And of course the answer is no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Mark chapter 4, verse 41, Jesus speaking to a storm, and the storm actually responds to Jesus' words. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. Then Revelation 19, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The Lord God omnipotent, the all-powerful God. We serve a powerful God. Now let me share with you what some other people have said about God's Unlimited power. It's first from Pascal. The greatest single distinguishing feature of the omnipotence of God is that our imagination gets lost when thinking about Him. I think that's a really smart guy's way of saying it'll blow your mind. And this is from A.W. Tozer. God possesses what no creature can, an incomprehensible plentitude of power, of potency that is absolute. This is from an anonymous source. Nothing is too big for God to accomplish. Nothing's too little for Him to use in accomplishing it. And then finally from Andrew Murray. We serve a God who delights in impossibilities. We serve a God who seems to take pleasure in doing things that we consider impossible. Now, as we think about God's power, let me ask you a couple questions. And by the way, this is kind of where we're headed this morning, okay? I think they're significant questions. And I'm going to pretty much throw them out there, and then we're going to come back and take a little closer look. First question is this. Do you personally believe that God's a powerful God? Of all the things that you believe about God, do you personally believe that you serve a God of power? Not just a loving God, not just a kind God, not just a present God. Do you believe that you serve a God that is all-powerful? Question number two. Do you believe that it is consistent with the character of God to make that power available to us? Do you believe that it is consistent with God's nature to grant us 
at least some of the power that he possesses. That some of that power might come our way. I mean, it's one thing to say, yes, we serve a powerful God. It's another thing to say, and I also believe some of that power at times is going to be lavished upon me. From what you know about God, do you think he would ever share his power in your life? And then the third question, how does this power transfer happen in the struggling life of an average person like me? Again, it's one thing to say, okay, God is a powerful God. And it's another thing to say, and every now and then there are times when that power is going to come my way, but what exactly does that look like? I mean, how exactly would that play out? How would I see it? How would I know it? Bill Hybels offers some insight into this question. He uses a phrase he calls power along the way. And I want to talk about that this morning. This idea that God does grant us power. But quite often it's power along the way. So four quick stories to kind of prove that point. A couple from the Old Testament, a couple from the New. They're going to be really familiar stories as we talk about the nature of God's power along the way. And the first it comes from the story of Exodus. God's people are leaving Egypt after about 400 years large section of that time, they were slaves in Egypt. God sent ten plagues on the Egyptians. And after the tenth plague, Pharaoh said, that's it, I can't take it anymore. Get out. And Moses organizes the Israelites and they leave Egypt in the general direction of Canaan. It doesn't take very long for Pharaoh to realize that his entire free workforce has just walked out the front door and that his economy is headed for the tank. So he gets the Egyptian National Guard together and he says, we got to go bring those Israelites back. And they take off after the Israelites. And before long, they have caught up with the Israelites. And the Israelites, seeing the Egyptian army, just come apart at the seams. They find themselves in a place where there is the uncrossable Red Sea in front of them. There are mountains on either side of them, and coming from the back is Pharaoh's army, and they are approaching with evil intent. And this has all the makings of an old-time slaughter. There is no place to run. There is no place to hide. And if you remember, the, cry, the people cry out to Moses in a panic, were there not enough graves in Egypt? I mean, why did you bring us out here in the desert to die? Notice Moses' response. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand where you are and watch, and you will see the wonderful way the Lord will rescue you today. And then he says one of the coolest things, I think, in Scripture. The Egyptians you're looking at, you will never see them again. The Egyptians you're looking at, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you won't need to lift a finger. Now, you need to understand, when Moses said that, he didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know that the Red Sea was about to be parted. He saw what everybody else saw. He saw a, a sea that couldn't be crossed. He saw mountains. He saw an angry army. But Moses says, God's going to do something. Wait for it. Wait for it. God's going to show up, and God's going to do something. Notice verse 15. It's, it's, it's a great verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. God said, Move on. Get going. Start marching. 
I want you to march toward the Red Sea. God says, I'm going to intervene somewhere between here and there. Somewhere between where you are and where I'm telling you to go, I'm going to show up and do something. Somewhere between where you're standing now and the water's edge, I'm going to show up. But I want you to get going. Now, think about that for a minute. What kind of direction would that be for a panic-stricken group of people who are convinced they're about to die? Start marching toward the Red Sea. Um, are you sure about that? Because that doesn't make much sense. Because God says, I'm going to intervene between here and there. I'm going to show up between here and the water's edge. So you keep marching. You keep trusting. You keep displaying your faith. Don't worry. I'm going to show up. Now let's just be honest with ourselves. When do we really want God to show up with power? Long before we get to the edge of the Red Sea, isn't it? We want God to show up with power way back here before it really comes a crisis, right? Hey, when we just saw the dust of the Egyptian army, why didn't you do something then? You know, we're right here in, 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 we're in desperate straits. Why didn't you show up before? Why did you wait till now to do something? But again, God promises power along the way. And God says, I'm going to show up with unlimited power, but I want you to keep walking. And of course, we know how that story goes. We've read the book, right? You've read the story, right? At least you've seen the movie, right? God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry land. Better than that, the Egyptians try to follow them when they're there in the midst of the, uh, the parted water. God releases that water. And the Egyptians that they saw that day, they never saw again. God did exactly what He promised He would do. He showed up. And He showed up with power. Power along the way. God promises His power. Power between where you are right now and where He's told you to be. Power between where you are right now and the water's edge. Whatever the water's edge might be for you. God says, I'm going to intervene and I'm going to do something. Next story is also from the Old Testament. Uh, a lot like the story we just looked at. More water, actually. Joshua chapter 3, 40 years have gone by. God's people are now ready to cross into the promised land. Just one problem, the Jordan River is at flood stage. Probably about a mile across where they were. No boats, no bridges, no ferries. They get word that God is ready to lead them into the promised land. But obviously the people are a bit concerned when they see the flooded Jordan River. Even more concerned when they hear God's plan. Joshua 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. And then Joshua dangles this great carrot in front of the people in verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So the instructions are, the priests are going to carry the ark. And they're going to carry it towards the Jordan River. And when you see the ark and the priest moving, you get out and we're going to form a line and we're all going to march behind the priests. Again, 
How's that sound to you? If I was like fifth or sixth in line, I'd like, okay, I'm going to step out here and, and I've got to tie my sandal. I want to see what everybody's going to happen, you know, what's happened when everybody gets to the Jordan River. Because the Jordan River's at flood stage, right? We're going to get in a line and we're going to march straight into a raging river. But Joshua promises something amazing is going to happen between here and the water's edge. And, of course, something amazing does happen. Verse 16, Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Something amazing happened. God showed up. Let's jump to the New Testament. John chapter 2. Take a look at the very first miracle that Jesus performs. Again, very familiar story. Jesus is at a wedding feast. little town of Cana. The feast has run out of wine, which would have been an embarrassment to everybody in attendance, really. So Jesus, at the prompting of his mother, has some servants fill up six large jars of water. They do as Jesus has instructed them to do, and then Jesus says this. Now, draw some water out and take it to the man in charge of the feast. And you can imagine the servants thinking, why would we do that? Why in the world would we take water to a man who is expecting wine? But apparently Jesus has a look in his eye like, something's going to happen. A twinkle in his eye. You do what I've asked you to do, and between where you are and where I've asked you to be, something's going to happen. And of course, we know this story well enough to know that something certainly did happen. Verse 8, they took him the water, which now had turned into wine, and he tasted it. He did not know where this wine had come from, but of course, the servants who had drawn out the water knew. The water turned to wine. A miracle occurred. And in that miracle, the occurrence, it happened along the way. From where those servants started to where Jesus told them to be. God showed up. One final story. Luke 17, ten lepers. Ten men who had not only this terrible, debilitating, lethal disease, but also ten guys who were completely ostracized from society. They can't be with their family. They can't hold a job. They can't have a normal life. And they see Jesus, and they think, well, what good is Jesus going to do us? And yet, somebody in that group apparently said, well, what do we have to lose? Let's see if we can get his attention. Let's see if the Jesus of Nazareth, this miracle worker, see if he'll pay any attention to us. Luke 17, verse 12, they stood at a distance. They stood at a distance because they had to stand at a distance. They had leprosy. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. There's Jesus in the distance. We can't get closer than we are because we have leprosy. But we're going to call out to Jesus, have pity on us. And Jesus does have pity on these men. But interestingly, He doesn't heal them right there. He doesn't cleanse them right there. Instead, he instructs them to go show themselves to the priest. The priest was sort of like the head of the Department of Health in those days. And if they wanted to be officially cleansed, the priest had to declare it. 
And again, you sort of wonder how that conversation would have gone as these ten guys are told, I want you to go back to the city and show yourselves to the priest. Well, why would we do that? Because we still have leprosy. I'm still diseased. You're still diseased and so are you. Why would we walk back to the city, which we can't enter? Why would we show ourselves to the priest, who we can't be around, just for him to tell us what we already know? Doesn't make any sense. And, and one of those ten maybe said, but wait a minute. What if something happens between here and there? What if something happens along the way? What if Jesus is testing us? What if he wants us to show our faith? What if he wants us to prove that we believe that he has the power to do what we want him to do? What if we need to show our faith in, in, in telling the priest, look at us? Verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. Somewhere along the way, God showed up with power. Somewhere between where they were and where they were told to go, something happened. Somewhere between, we're hopeless. We have absolutely no options. And here's what I'm asking and telling you to do. Somewhere along the way, God shows up with power. Imagine that, imagine that, um, that journey. I'm doing what Jesus told me to do and nothing's changed. I still have leprosy. I'm still headed where Jesus told me to head. Now nothing's changed. Jesus tells me to do this and I'm doing this and nothing's happened. And they get closer to the city and nothing's happened. And they get closer to the city and nothing's happened. And they get closer to the city and then they stop and say, Hey, I have all my fingers. I've been healed. Hey, you don't have leprosy anymore. Hey, could you imagine that moment along the way when God showed up in their lives? All the questions that they had and all the doubts that they had, all that went away. Okay, so what? <laughs> now, if you look at four stories, that's great, but, but so what? What's that mean for me? You know, at the beginning of this lesson, I asked you a couple of questions. And the first question I asked was, do you personally believe that God is a powerful God? And I feel sure that every one of you in this room would say yes. Now, not everyone you know, but I think the fact that you're in this room speaks to the fact that I think we would all agree, yes, God is a powerful God. I mean, if, if God is God, it only stands to reason that He would be boundaryless, that He would be all-powerful. He'd be unlimited. Intellectually, we get that. What we struggle with are those next two questions. Is that power available to us? Is God's power available to you and me? And you see it all the time, by the way. You see, you see people who, who question that and who doubt that. Even Christ followers. People who haven't really bought into that. People who, they know what Jesus has asked them to do but, but they get really passive and they just kind of quit and they get defeated feeling and start 
playing the, the victim. And instead of walking by faith in the direction that God has called them to walk, they just sit down and stop and complain. And as we think about that third question, you know, as we try to get practical, how does that power transfer happen to regular average people like you and me? I'm just a guy. How does God's power manifest itself in me? I'll take you back to, to my anchor text today. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. According to his power that's at work within us. Now we're talking about being more, enjoying more, doing more, more than we could hope or imagine. Ephesians tells us that's a result of a power that's at work within us. That's a result of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So the question becomes this morning, what's God calling you to do? Where's God calling you to go? You're here. The water's edge is there. What's God calling you to do? And maybe it's a relationship thing, because so much of our lives are wrapped up in relationships, right? Maybe it's a spouse or a family member or a neighbor or somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody you worship with. And there's been a lot of pain and hurt in that relationship. Somehow it's gone sideways and it's gotten off track. And you know God is calling you to make a phone call or have a conversation or approach that person. And you're thinking, I can't do that. It's too hard, too messy, way too complicated. It won't turn out well. Well, here's what I know. It will never turn out well until God shows up. Because nothing is too difficult when God is in the mix. God will give you power along the way. Or maybe you need power along the way in an employment deal or a financial thing. Maybe you need power along the way to, to get out of your comfort zone and volunteer to help someone and serve somehow. Maybe you need power along the way to talk to people about Jesus. Just to tell your Jesus story. Just to say, you know, I've really been blessed this week. Just to tell people what Jesus did in your life. But, mmm, that's hard. It's complicated. I don't like that. You know what you need to do? You need to look at your phone, pick up your phone, dial the phone, and see if God doesn't give you power along the way. You need to knock on the door. See the house, walk to the house, knock on the door. Sit down, have the conversation, talk about Jesus. Tell people your Jesus story. Brag about God. See if God doesn't give you power along the way. Now, so many of the things that we desperately want to have happen never happen because we don't have the faith to walk in that direction. But I know you well enough to know that there are people in this room, there are lots of people in this room, and you can look back on your life and you can say, there was a time when, you know, boy, I was standing here and I knew God wanted me there and I stepped out on faith. And I just put one foot in front of the other. And I knew between here and the deadline, God was going to have to show up. Between here and the water's edge, God was going to have to show up. Between here and the thing that scared me the most, God was going to have to show up. And you know what? In a way that I couldn't have imagined, He showed up. And now you've got a story. And you have a story worth sharing. 
but some of you don't. Because some of you haven't. Some people just get locked and stuck where they are and they wait and they wait and they wait and they, and they wait until they die. Because they're waiting for God to give them courage and, and they're waiting for God to give them help and strength way ahead of time. God, I want you to answer every question I have. I want you to lay it out for me so perfectly that, that I have no, no doubt or no reason but to take the next step because I'm assured of what's going to happen because I can see it. I want to walk by sight, not by faith. But God says, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to promise you power. But it's going to be power along the way. You step out on faith. You obey. And I'll do more for you than you could ask or imagine. Listen, here's what we can all agree on. Life is hard. Any amens there? Life is hard. And the older I get, the more I realize that I think it's always going to be hard. Oh, I'm not in heaven yet. But God promises us power if we trust Him. If we walk in faith. If we just hold on. Take a look. God's promise is, if you walk to the water's edge, He'll make a way. In just a minute, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. I'm going to challenge you as we sing that song. When we sing, in heavenly armor will enter the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory and honor, and power, and strength to the Lord. If you can't step out in faith, if you can't walk in faith, if you refuse to get out of your comfort zone, if you say, I know I should make the call, 
I know I should have the conversation. I know I should serve people in the name of Jesus. I know I should brag on Jesus more than I do, but I can't. I'm stuck. I'm frozen. It's too scary. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to stay right where I am. Do what I've always done. If that's where you are, don't sing this song, okay? Just don't. It'd be hypocritical. But if you sing the song, you can do this. You can do this because nothing is too difficult for God. You can do this because where you are right now and where God is calling you to be, somewhere between here and there, He's going to show up. And if you're walking in faith, you're going to someday look back and say, God did immeasurably more than all I could have asked or all I could have imagined when I trusted in Him. God has promised us power along the way if we hold on. Let's stand and sing.